Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Qualified immunity is a judicial doctrine that protects police from liability in civil lawsuits. New York City recently became the first city in the nation to eliminate it. City Mayor Bill de Blasio says banning qualified immunity makes it easier for someone to sue a police officer, but the officer won't have to pay the financial penalty. The police department and the city will. New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson commented about the measure, quote, Qualified immunity was established in 1967 in Mississippi to prevent freedom riders during the civil rights movement from holding public officials liable when they broke the law. Rooted in our nation's history of systemic racism, qualified immunity denied freedom riders justice and has been used to deny justice to victims of police abuse for decades, end quote. The change in New York City removed qualified immunity for the 36,000 officers in what is the country's largest police force. Florida Democratic State Representative Diane Hart has revealed that, quote, there are officers in gangs and white supremacy groups that have positions of leadership within prisons around the state, end quote. She said she intends to ask the FBI to conduct an investigation and advise the Florida legislature. Hart said state correctional officers, incarcerated people, and families have stated that the problem has spread throughout the state prison system. In a joint May 2017 report, the FBI and Department of Homeland Security said white supremacists pose a, quote, persistent threat of lethal violence, end quote, and have been responsible for more killings than any other domestic terrorist groups since the year 2000. FBI Director Christopher Wray told U.S. Senators in March that, quote, racially motivated violent extremism, end quote, mostly by white supremacists, is responsible for the most rapidly rising amount of domestic terrorism cases. Furthermore, federal law enforcement staff, researchers, and legal experts warn that there's a concerted effort by white nationalist extremists to infiltrate police and corrections departments. Up next, we have a roundup of prison disturbances for July 2021 as compiled by Perilous Chronicle. As of July 1st, 12 prisoners at Ely State Prison in Nevada are on hunger strike as they were held in solitary confinement in the segregation wing. The prisoners are striking in response to a new policy limiting what prisoners held in segregation are able to purchase from the canteen and the packages that they can receive. The strike follows a 2018 hunger strike that Nevada inmates waged at the Cigarro Correctional Center, a private prison in Eloy, Arizona. In the first two weeks of July, six people have escaped from a court-mandated juvenile facility, Broken Shackle Ranch. 
a private Christian program that detainees are sent to voluntarily for reform or required to go by the juvenile court system or the Division of Child and Family Services. Those who have escaped have not been captured. As Perilous Chronicle reported, on July 4th, 40 detainees at Moose Lake Correctional Facility in Minnesota began a hunger strike. This is the second hunger strike this year at the facility where detainees and advocates claim that the Minnesota Sex Offender Program, through civil commitment, is unconstitutionally detaining people after they have completed their prison sentences with no clear path to release. Civil commitment is a non-criminal process that allows for indefinite detention of people deemed potentially dangerous to the public. It is a preventative measure that has garnered significant criticism from those detained and their advocates. Few people have ever progressed through treatment to release, and individuals detained within the system are not afforded the same rights as a person detained as a state prisoner. In January of this year, Ten men at the Moose Lake facility participated in a hunger strike to demand freedom from unconstitutional indefinite detention, said Daniel Wilson in a press release from July 5th. Wilson is a detainee at Moose Lake and a co-founder of Overcoming Corruption, Encouraging All Nations, a detainee-led advocacy group inside the facility. After 20 years in operation, 700 people have been committed to the facility, and only three people have ever been released. Today, there remain 743 people detained at the Moose Lake Treatment Facility. In its 26 years in operation, only 14 people have ever been fully discharged from the program, and 45 have been provisionally discharged. To date, 88 people have died while in MSOP, making it six times more likely that a detainee will die in the facility than be discharged without provisions. According to a public statement released by Ocean, on the 14th day of the January strike, Minnesota Human Services Commissioner Jody Harpstead made a deal with the strikers. The deal would have the MSOP administration meet with detainees to discuss the creation of what Wilson calls a, quote, clear path home. After a series of four meetings in February, March, April, and May, strikers feel that the administration has failed to maintain dialogue or meet their demands. Following the breakdown of negotiations, a press release disseminated by detainees and their advocates asserted that the strike is larger and the demands unequivocal. In addition to a clear path home, the detainees demand an end to the program by either an executive order from the governor or commitment from a senator and representative in the Minneapolis State Legislature to sponsor a bill to end the program. For more information about the strike and the history of the Moose Lake facility, visit the Perilous website. On July 4th, two women escaped from the Avoyelles Parish Sheriff's Office Women's Jail Facility in Cottonport, Louisiana. Both women were later captured. Also on July 4th, two prisoners escaped from the FCI Institute Three Rivers in Three Rivers, Texas. As of August 1st, neither of the prisoners have been recaptured. As Perilous Chronicles' Lena Mercer reported, the hunger strike at SCI Phoenix in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, ended on Sunday, July 4th, after 10 days on strike. Perilous reported on the strike last month when at least 12 people housed in SCI Phoenix initiated the strike. 
Several of the strikers also participated in the uprising at James T. Vaughn Correctional Center in Smyrna, Delaware, in 2017, and were later transferred to Pennsylvania through Interstate Compact. These prisoners, known collectively as the Vaughn 17, were charged with crimes following the uprising and have since organized jointly in their own defense, many of them now being held in the IMU, the Intensive Management Unit, at SCI Phoenix, feel they ended up there because of their past activism and their commitment to collective defense. In the statement from the Vaughn 17 concerning the end of the strike, they name the strike as a continuation of their collective efforts inside the various facilities. Quote, Our sole purpose is to tear down every last brick until every last prisoner is free, they said. On the evening of Wednesday, July 7th, four detainees escaped from Fulton County Jail in West Central Illinois. ABC News reported that the four prisoners had escaped through a hole behind a toilet. The Fulton County Sheriff's Department has claimed that the escape was due to a deficiency at the jail. All four of the escapees have been captured. On July 8th, two prisoners escaped from the Lorraine Medina Community-Based Correctional Facility in Elyria, Ohio. Allegedly, they escaped by breaking a window in their dorm, and they have both been captured. On July 9th, three detainees escaped from St. Anne Police Station in Missouri. They were captured by the U.S. Marshals shortly after. The police station is used as a federal overflow facility for the U.S. Marshals. After organizing the weekend before, on July 12th, 19 detainees of cell block C2 at Lewis County Jail in Chehalis, Washington, initiated a hunger strike by refusing to eat at the jail's kitchen. As Washington Chronicle reported, the hunger strikers have reported grievances with their food and that the jail has neglected to meet medical and religious dietary needs. The Chronicle's Emily Fitzgerald also reported that the decision to organize was motivated by a sexual assault by a kitchen staff. One hunger striker, Dominic Garcia, stated, quote, The sexual assault is what started it, but there's all kinds of other negligent things they do, end quote. Another striker, Nicholas Bordalo, stated, quote, It's just to the point where we've had enough. We've been writing grievances and we've been complaining, but they're not getting back to us. They're not addressing it to us, end quote. It is unconfirmed if the hunger strike is still going. As Lena Mercer from Perilous Chronicle reported, on July 13th, more than 20 prisoners at the David Wade Correctional Center in northern Louisiana started a hunger strike to protest their confinement under conditions they say are akin to torture. The strikers had all been relocated to David Wade from the Elaine Hunt Correctional Center near Baton Rouge, Louisiana, under a controversial disciplinary collaboration program between the two facilities. Once at David Wade, prisoners say they have been beaten, denied medical attention, and left in long-term solitary confinement with no hope or path out of the program. A warning of the strike's imminent beginning started circulating in a social media graphic on July 11th. An entire tier of prisoners at the David Wade Correctional Center in Louisiana will be on hunger strike, the graphic stated. The strike itself was going to be a response to a program called the 90-Day Turnaround, in which prisoners are held long after 90 days, some as long as two years. In the program, 
prisoners from Elaine Hunt are transferred to David Wade for supposedly 90 days of intensive disciplinary segregation. For many, the conditions inside the program at WCC amount to what they call torture. Prisoners are held under more restrictive conditions than normal. According to Marsha Parker, whose husband is incarcerated at the facility, they are permitted a single 10-minute phone call each month. There is no access to the canteen and no yard time. The men are locked in their cells for nearly 24 hours a day and are allowed only 10 minutes to shower. They are shackled and handcuffed every time the cell door opens and all medications are kept from them. Parker's husband, Kermit Parker, has been held in the so-called 90-day disciplinary program since 2019, according to the letters sent to Perilous Chronicle. For more information about the strike, visit the Perilous website. The story is evolving and Perilous will continue to follow the hunger strike as prisoners continue to participate. According to the Los Angeles Sheriff's Information Bureau, in the early morning of July 15th, a prisoner allegedly assaulted a guard during a security check. Multiple other prisoners joined the altercation, and pepper spray was deployed. Seven staff were transported to the hospital for minor injuries, and ten prisoners were transported to the hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. On July 19th, two detainees escaped from Fentress County Jail in Tennessee. One person who escaped was captured the next day. But as of August 1st, one prisoner has yet to be captured. Also on July 19th, three detainees escaped from Bryan County Jail in Oklahoma by hopping a fence. All three prisoners have been recaptured. On the morning of July 22nd, two detainees escaped from Franklin County Jail in Alabama during a work assignment cleaning equipment. Both prisoners were captured that afternoon. On July 24th, three detainees escaped from McDonald County Detention Center in Pineville, Missouri, after allegedly attacking a guard. All three prisoners were captured in the early morning of July 26th. Two disturbances have occurred this week at the St. Louis Justice Center in Missouri. This is the fifth disturbance at this facility in the past eight months, the most recent on April 5th. On the afternoon of Tuesday, July 27th, an upheaval broke out, and KMOV News 4 St. Louis says that in the video, one detainee states, let's riot, man, and the security cameras were blocked by another detainee. In the past year, detainees have been able to get out of their cells five times by jamming locks full of toilet paper and toothpaste. The master control system was destroyed and windows were shattered. Pepper spray was deployed. On the evening of Friday, July 30th, another disturbance occurred during meal delivery involving 25 prisoners. Pepper spray was deployed. According to the public security director of the jail, 120 detainees are now being transferred to the workhouse, the medium security institution, until the locking system could be upgraded. The workhouse was closed by Mayor Tashara Jones in June, but will now be used again after this week's disturbances. Longtime Indiana prison rebel Shaka Shakur was transferred to Virginia in order to isolate and punish him for his organizing. This week, he went on hunger strike to protest this exile and demand his return to Indiana. Here's the statement he recorded. We're sharing what we can of his audio as well as reading the transcript when prison background noise was too severe. Here he is. 
We demand that the Interstate Corrections Compact Agreement between the state of Indiana and Virginia that is based on the Fugitive Slave Act be abolished. We are demanding that Shaka Shakur, 1996-207, be returned back to his home state of Indiana. Shaka has no charges or convictions pending within the state of Virginia. The forced domestic exile and interstate transfer has placed an unreasonable amount of stress and hardship on Shaka Shakur and his family to win. One, since Shakur arrived in Virginia, his family has lost and they had to bury his 98-year-old grandmother who was the matriarch of the family, his oldest and last remaining alive sister and aunt. None of whom funerals were he allowed to attend or bedside visit. His mother, who was 82 years old, within the last year has been diagnosed with leukemia and dementia and placed in a medical facility where she can receive where she can receive 24-hour treatment. Again, I am unable to interact or communicate with her on any type of regular or consistent basis. She isn't fit for travel. Shakur's wife, who is 60 plus years old, have health issues and unable to travel due to economic or physiological hardships. It is believed, and we know to be fact, that Mr. Shakur was moved to the state of Virginia in an attempt to further isolate him and separate him from his support base and legal representatives. As Mr. Shakur has both civil and criminal litigation pending in Indiana and is unable to meet with his legal team, paralegals, and lawyers due to the district's unreasonable hardship. Again, this is designed to undermine Mr. Shakur and the so-called constitutional right he has to litigate and have his day in court. Since Mr. Shakur's arrival in Virginia, there's been intentional indifference toward fulfilling its contractual obligation with Indiana as far as medical treatment, mental health treatment, etc. Mr. Shakur has been in Virginia approximately three years, and even today, Virginia still doesn't have his complete medical file and has failed to follow through on all chronic care issues or tests that were ordered, such as an MRI and EMG as treatment for spinal and degenerative disc disease, despite being fully documented on his medical file. Virginia Medical has routinely refused to issue Mr. Shakur medical aid, cervical pillow, proper mattresses, etc. that is due to him due to his medical condition. Recently, in 2015, Mr. Shakur had a major neck and spinal surgery where hardware was installed, and Virginia has been both negligent and indifferent in issuing him the items he needs to lessen the pain and agony of his condition. Mr. Shakur, prior to being moved to Virginia, was held in solitary confinement for 13 consecutive years and has repeatedly requested mental health treatment intervention only to be ridiculed, treated indifferently, not taken seriously, or laughed at. No proactiveness measures taken again. Negligent and indifferent. He continues, Since my arrival in Virginia and since my arrival in transfer, I have repeatedly been placed in situations designed to provoke either a physical confrontation or a military strike. This has been spearheaded by various elements existing in an official capacity. It is believed that this is in retaliation for my prisoners' rights and political activism, which Buckingham Correctional Center administration and subordinates have taken to calling Cop Watch. In fact, officers and guards have promoted such nicknames and actively refer to me as such and all other inmates and classify any activity I engage in, for example, writing a letter, sending an email, using the phone, as Cop Watch activity. While far as I'm concerned, such as a backhand compliment, the administration has manipulated it into that of snitch jacketing and thereby are placing my safety and security in jeopardy. For all of the above reasons and others not stated, we are demanding that Mr. Shakur be returned back to his home, state of Indiana, as soon as possible. He continues, I'm asking everyone to blow up Governor Northam and Director Harold Clark of the DOC's phones and emails, demanding that I be shipped back to Indiana immediately until we are given a response that we are satisfied with. The next move is to stage or orchestrate a protest rally in Richmond or Central, or both, 
calling attention to this interstate slave contract and demanding that I be moved back to my home state. Tomorrow morning, I'll be initiating a hunger strike and I will not be coming off until my issues with my property and status is firmly addressed. I currently have no personal property, no legal material, no reading and writing material, and no hygiene materials. I don't even have a washcloth or towel to wash my with. It has been since Friday. These are violations of DOC policy and operating procedures, and I've not been given any type of notification why I'm allegedly under investigation other than that, quote, a snitch note was dropped on me and they have to look into it, unquote. We'll keep you updated on his situation as it unfolds. In 2016 and 2017, Jessica Resnicek and Ruby Montoya undertook a campaign of sabotage against the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline in solidarity with the struggle of the Standing Rock Sioux. Earlier this week, Jessica was taken into custody to begin an eight-year prison sentence. We're now sharing a short selection from an interview Jessica did last month with Local 5 ABC News in Iowa. Yesterday was your sentencing. Did you expect, it was eight years? Did you expect eight years? You know, I was hopeful. The count that I pled guilty to carried anywhere from zero to 20 years. And so I think there was a part of me that was hopeful that I could maybe be released on probation. Due to my record with the probation office, um, due to my commitment to service in my community, um, due to many of the supportive letters that were written on my behalf to the judge. Um, but obviously I had to process the reality of a, you know, a potential 20-year sentence also. Um, I knew that my sen sentencing guidelines were um, pretty steep. And so I was definitely prepared to be taken into custody yesterday, and I was prepared to be potentially facing up to 15 years. Um, so I'm here today, and I'm still out, and I'm feeling strong in spirit and um, ready to move on to the next phase of my life. So what, what comes next? When do you go to jail? Where will you go? Yeah, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Um, I know I met with the marshal after sentencing and they will be sending me a letter and my lawyers a letter here in the next couple of weeks with my assignment, um, where and when to report. Would this normally happen sooner? Is anything delayed because of COVID? Um, I would say that probably my, my overall like case, and in my case, many there were many delays because of COVID, um, but I don't think so, no. Okay. Yeah. So overall, kind of just let's start from the beginning of um, your activism regarding the Dakota Access Pipeline. What ha what, when did you start? What took place? And just kind of go from there. Great, yeah. Um, actually, I'd been, um, I would have to say that it started actually with my connection with water. Um, I grew up here in rural Iowa 
and grew up on the rivers a lot, was deeply connected um, to the peace and joy and beauty that the river provided, particularly the Raccoon River. Grew up there swimming a lot, and um, I think I've carried that love with me like all of my life and that respect for Mother Earth, and I've also witnessed the desecration and the pollution that, um, that has occurred in my lifetime over the last couple of decades. And so when I started hearing about the pipeline, the message from the indigenous-led movement, which is Water is Life, really resonated deeply with me and in me and in my spirit and in my heart. And um, essentially the first way that I got plugged in was I supported a, a Lakota youth run, Lakota Dakota, and ran with the youths to DC um, and so that was a really like enlightening and inspirational time for me to learn about a different culture, a different tradition, and a different really like way in which to approach the world, which is understanding like that we're all connected, like all beings are connected. And I think, um, you know, I think that that really taught me a lot about what to prioritize in life and it helped me reconnect with that like little child within me that just loved the water so much. And as I looked around at our condition of our water in Iowa, um, I realized like we don't have much more to stake at, to, to risk here in Iowa. And so um, I was grew very concerned that the Dakota Access Pipeline would be traveling through this region. And finally, we're sharing a track by Flexboy Diggy, a young rapper who's currently detained in Terre Haute, Indiana. He wrote us as a longtime KiteLine listener and asked us to share his track, Fear. As he wrote, quote, I'm an inmate inside the Vigo County Jail, hoping to get my voice heard, incarcerated on charges that are absurd, unquote. Yeah, uh-huh. Flex, uh-huh, boy, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Let's try to talk to him. GPS vibrate. <laughs> scared of fear? Don't be. I got a fear that they want to kill one. But mama said when I was young, stand up. Any weapon formed against me shall not prosper. Who really care if I ain't got a dollar? And I ain't trying to bother. But if you want me to, I'll beat it. A professional boxer ain't gonna tell you though. That just depend on where you trying to go. I'm trying to reach some new heights. Who thought that I would grow? I'm gonna express myself. And really, I just want to test myself to show myself I can't impress myself. Cause I ain't waiting, not even saying I'm lacking patience. But patience steady won't my help like I'm the doctor lately. She said she raised herself and I feel it. I ain't had a goddess in the beginning. No, that's trouble. But till this day, I say I owe it to mother. Cause every wave that knocked us under, she was rising above it. To you is gratitude. My ill just forced me to choose. I thought you was gonna put me out to save face. Man, I just chose a drought. But I love you. And to this day, I put no woman. In the bay, you when there's nothing the sun can say to change my mind without others still got beef. But no, I been stopped trying to grind in the streets. Still got heat, cause like I said, feel like I dive ease. And you see, I hope you know I give my heart into you. I respect it, but man, my mind just feel my soul been rejected. Still acting like I'm doing fine. Who really wanna be stressing? So fidget something that you use to stop your conscience from spreading. Yeah, you scared of fear? Uh-uh. 
don't be That's the way that you can get to know me Too many tried to ride the wave, I'm really surfing lonely And we don't really say we dating, we just build it slowly No, it ain't like we hesitating, just progressing only But sex too good for us to waste, so patient sex is phony Sometimes she reckless on me, sometimes I can't pretend I'm stressing on me So feel it settled like it's resting on me Play the night, favorite color black, I've been dark skin my whole life Made the fight, gonna clutch some straps, but hope no pressure applied Cause if it is, I'm a ride, so I've been prepared to die And every bone that's in my body just want me to provide A different living, for the people that I love, wonder why I've been feeling like an outsider flying alone in the sky But I know the reason I'm traveling alone, eagle mind Ready to soar, an infant introduced to the war The war, the scary place One question, are you moving on faith? Cause when we feel like I doubt a little But see other days And girl, I walk to get to you Don't care if it's gonna rain Love the biggest thing This has been Kite Line. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, Kite Line Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can follow Kite Line Radio on all social media platforms. Kite Line is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. Kite Line, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.